Hey, you want a drink or something before we record? Um, yeah, can I just get like a Jack and Coke? Sorry, I can't hear you. It's really loud in here. Jack and Coke? Okay, um, let me see if I can get us a drink. You know what? Fuck it. Let's record. Hello. Hello, everybody. I'm Dallas. I'm Kylie. And this is Chaos and Cuss Words. Yes, welcome to part two. Thank you guys for tuning in for the second part of this episode. It is going to be so impactful. Dallas did such a great job. Yes, I I don't think that I did, but you know, I'm living in my truth season. So that's exactly that's what made it such a great job as you okay. were just so truthful and honest. I think everyone's going to love it. Okay, if you say so, if you say so. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, how was your week? You know, it's been busy living um, that mom life, you know, trying to open a bar. Oh my gosh, so. yeah. How is that going? It's great. So we're actually taking a bunch of local vendors in right now. So I've just been meeting with a lot of great people and um, I'm a creator as well. I'm an artist as well. So it's just nice to like be in the world with people who are like-minded like me and just it's been fun. Yeah, that is way cool. That is yeah. Way cool. Yeah, how about you? What have you been up to this week? Um, well, I sent my kids back to school and they I, I wish I could say that I didn't cry, but I definitely did uh shed a few tears. I don't know why. It was just like one of those things where I'm like, they're growing up too fast. Yeah, it's a beginning it's a new beginning, right? It's emotional. Yeah, and the whole like I've had slipping through my fingers, like no. stuck in my head, and I even like played it last night. I was like, they're growing up too fast. Just in your feels for a moment. Yeah, yeah. I just have to feel it or otherwise I'm just going to avoid it and I don't need to avoid it. <laughs> no, you need to feel all the feels. Feel, feel all the feels, yeah. And then um, I also started my internship this week. So it's just kind of been chaotic, running around, doing everything, but I'm just, I'm loving it. Oh, that's awesome. You finally get to be in the setting you've been working so hard to be in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like, I just kind of I love where I'm interning at. So it's gonna be it's gonna be awesome. Oh, I love that for you. So excited. I know. I'm so excited too. It'll be fun. Awesome. All right. So should we dive into my story with my mom then? Yep, let's get to it. I think my mom is definitely a lot more difficult to talk about because it is still a little raw for me even though Mm -hmm. I've gone to therapy I've talked about it with others and it's but it's still very triggering so just a fair warning I might not like make sense in some parts but I'm yeah and stay on topic that's that's where I'm at too that's why I try to keep it short because if not I'll just ball (laughs) yeah yeah I'm I'm gonna I think I'm gonna make it through I got this It's a brave space, right? Brave (laughs) space. Yeah, it's a brave space. Yeah. So like I mentioned earlier, my mom was diving deeper into depression and substance abuse. Uh, She is an alcoholic. In 2011, she went into treatment for depression and alcoholism or substance use disorder because she had lost everything. Uh, She literally just got evicted from her house 
which my husband, my sister and I had to clean out. And I felt obligated to help her, but I soon figured out that she didn't actually care about the kind of impact that this had on us. Like there were two dogs and over like 15 cats in a thousand square foot house. And they were just peeing and pooping all over. So, oh my gosh. Yeah, it was just hoarded with animals and with stuff. And we couldn't save everything because A, we didn't have time, B, we didn't have money, and C, we just literally didn't have the energy by the end of it. The first thing that she said to me when I told her that we finally made everything out of the house, she's like, Did you even get the grandmother quilt? Which my mom was a big sewer. And she had been working on what's called like a grandmother quilt. And I said no, because my mom's caseworker was there helping us prioritize what to keep, throw away or sell. And to me, that conversation has always stuck out in my head because she was mad at me for something that I didn't have a lot of control over because I didn't have the space. I was living in my own apartment and we had to rent out like a a storage unit. And even then, it was a small storage unit because we couldn't afford anything else. So I don't know. After that, I dropped off some stuff that she had requested to a homeless shelter that she was transitioning into. And I cut contact for a a while, like at least over a year. But my mom had also been emailing me, essentially blaming me for the position that she was in. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, great. Thank you. I'm taking care of your daughter. But, you know, I'm the one to blame. Cool. (laughs) And she was also, like, trying to explain, like, how better she was. But, like, it was, like, it almost seemed like it was out of resentment, in a sense. Like, she's kind of like, fuck you. This is where I'm at. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fun. I I did the same thing that I did with my dad. I just told her that I was pregnant with my son. And she changed her tune very, very quick. Like, she's like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be a grandma. And, like, essentially, we just basically made up without actually fixing anything. And that was, like, the biggest mistake of my life, honestly. That's actually really profound. And you actually just, like, threw something at my face that I guess I haven't realized. I I did the same thing. Yeah, you did, huh? Yeah. I mean, baby in the picture, we're going to make it work because the baby needs its grandparent. And we're not even going to actually work on our relationship. Holy moly, man, I'm just over here having self-realization. Hey, it's better than our parents. They don't have a lot of self-awareness, so. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Okay, well, hey, we got this. (laughs) Yeah, no, and I I think I agree with you in that statement. That is a huge mistake. Yeah, because it's it's not prioritizing the relationship between us as a parent and child relationship. It's prioritizing the grandchild and the grandparent. And even though intentions could be, you know, pure and all that stuff, if something was horribly wrong before to the point where you had very limited contact, then that should have been like, you knew that their intentions were not pure, if that makes sense. Like, it was all about them, like, and having connection to their grandchild in a sense. Exactly. So... In a matter of two months, I went from not talking to her to her walking me down the aisle at my wedding. Oh and my yeah, I was we, there. I thought I think about it. Yeah. Yeah, you were there. <laughs> you were there. I thought that because she had already gotten sober and she was like doing like therapy, that that would be healing enough for me. It's and, a huge like, step. Yeah, it's a huge step. 
and I just kind of saw it as like a second chance to start over. But I have since realized like that's com- that's not how functional families actually do things. <laughs> they want to fix things first. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know that. <laughs> I had a very dysfunctional family. So exactly. And like I said earlier, you can't do better till you know better. Yeah, exactly. So less than two years later, after I had my son, literally maybe three weeks after my son's first birthday, my no limit soldier of a daughter was conceived with an IUD. <laughs> so oh my gosh. Yeah. Surprise. <laughs> Surprise. Oh yeah. The doctor was like, man, you're my first patient who got pregnant with the IUD. I'm like, don't tell me that. Please don't tell me that. Fuck that. No. <laughs> yeah. That. You need a lottery ticket at that moment, right? Oh, please don't say that because that's literally what they said. And I paid so much money to buy lottery tickets. I thought I was special for a second. <laughs> I mean, I am, but not in a lottery sense, that's for sure. So we decided to move from our small apartment into a house. And we asked my mom if she would come and live with us. Uh, so then she can kind of help us with some childcare because I was still in school. My husband was still in school and working full time. We also thought that she would be helping us with the bills because that's kind of what she like what she volunteered to do. So actually, the day that we got the keys for the house, we got the call that my dad was found dead in a hotel from a heart attack. Oh, my God. Um, yeah. So that was definitely memorable. <laughs> Talk about timing, right? I know. I'm like, here I am moving on with my life. Oh, yeah. Long story short, I took care of all of my dad's arrangements with my uncle, which previously I did not have any contact with my uncle because my dad had also threatened to kill my uncle and take away his two children. It it was bittersweet. Like my dad was dead, but I still, I got a whole other side of my family back. Yeah, that's awesome. And even though I was doing all that, you know, essentially to like kind of pick up the burden for my mom. She started giving us the silent treatment for a few weeks, actually, shortly after we moved in, because I'd asked her if she would be able to help with her share of the bills. And I know that it wasn't that much. And her sister had actually given her access to a credit card to help with these types of things, you know, like to get necessities and pay for stuff. And she just felt like she couldn't afford it. And it wasn't as though I was trying to be mean about it. I was just trying to figure out how was I going to be able to pay rent, you know? For sure. Like my husband was making minimum wage at the time and I was just taking out student loans. How was I going to pay for all this? So I, I don't know. She gave me the silent treatment for a few weeks. Eventually she started talking to me again and I started going to therapy to kind of help process my dad's death. Yeah, and that silence treatment is a huge form of abuse. Oh yeah, it's a it's huge and I didn't even know that that's what it was until literally a couple of years ago. I didn't know that the silent what the silent treatment was and I didn't know that it was abuse. I had no idea. So, years pass by, like we buy our own house. I have graduated with my associates. So nothing really changes with our relationship or with her, honestly. There were periods where it was just really good and some periods where it was just really rough where she would like not talk to me. But the relationship overall was way better than what I had when we were growing up. So I took it. You know what I mean? Like I I just wanted that kind of connection with my mom because I never had that type of connection with my mom. 
So yeah. I thought something was better than nothing. Yeah. You just wanted a relationship. Yeah, exactly. I wasn't going to be too picky about it. And then like sometimes she would pay for food and help around with chores in the house, but she like never paid for bills. And even though she was getting death benefits from my dad too. So even though she had access to that, she still did not feel any obligation to help us in that sense. Oh my gosh. So she was freeloading yeah. and, you know, making it feel as though like she didn't have a chance to go move out when she could have, she could have, she was like 60 something. So she could have figured something out. Yeah. I mean, you're giving her a place to live. All you're asking for is a little help. <laughs> yeah. Like I understand that it wouldn't have been much and I wasn't even asking for much. I was just asking, you know, for some help because I don't know. I, Anyways, COVID hit and in June of 2020, she asked us if she can have her high school best friend, Karen, to stay with us. I'm going to say her name. That is her name. Of course, her name is Karen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to get better. Trust me. It's gone. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. We continued. <laughs> yes. So she wanted her best friend to stay on our couch. And at that point, we didn't know how COVID impacted people with type 1 diabetes. And my son had already been four or five years in at that point. Um, and my mom was also high, high risk because of her age. So we didn't know how that would impact everybody. I told her I wasn't really comfortable allowing Karen to stay on my couch but I would talk to my husband and my mom literally just got up from the dinner table, slammed her plate in the sink and didn't talk to me for five days straight. Not a single word. Eventually Such emotional abuse. That's horrible. <laughs> I know. And it, it gets worse. It, unfortunately, eventually she apologized for getting angry. So she never apologized for, you know, giving me the silent treatment or how she, how her behavior impacted me. And at that point I was just like, I hit my limit of bullshit. I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I very rarely stand up for myself, especially to my mom. Like I am one of those people where I keep my head down and I do what I'm supposed to do. And I, that's the type of person that I've always been because doing nothing was a means for survival. Oh, yeah. Getting emotional. Sorry. <laughs> Get emotional. Let it out. Oh. I basically told her that she had every right to be angry but she didn't have a right to abuse me that way because the silent treatment is abuse. Like that's when I figured out that the silent treatment was abuse. So I told her it would take a while for me to kind of like forgive her. I think maybe a week later, she very rarely talked to me, but she just kind of left the house. Uh, she said that she's going to go to a hotel with Karen because she came up from Utah. And after a few days, she didn't come back when she said that she would. So I got worried and I tried to contact her like a couple days later. She just called me and said, oh, I forgot my charger at home, but I'm coming back. <laughs> so that was that. And that was honestly, that, that was the last time that we ever spoke because then she stopped talking to me for six months. So she lived in my house rent-free and not talk to me like in person kind of a thing. But I'm sorry. That's, that's horrible. It, yeah. It was really, really hard and really triggering too, because it was, there were some things, there were things like I needed my mom for like, got diagnosed a month later with type one. I said her name. I didn't mean to. And like, I didn't want to say anything because I was like in freeze. Like if you think of trauma responses, there's like 
fight, flight, freeze, and fawn. I was in freeze that entire time. I didn't know what to do, but she didn't say anything. I was afraid that I was going to upset her. But even as an adult child, you still feel like you need your parents. You know what I mean? Oh, 100%. My mom is there every step of the way of all of my things. Yeah, exactly. I couldn't imagine being like in pain and hurting and you know her thinking the silent treatment was you know was that valuable at that moment when you needed your mom yeah. I'm sorry yeah thank you it's kind of like what you were saying like how dare you kind of a thing like when you think of how it impacts your children kind of a thing from a parent perspective it totally For changed sure. my perspective yeah like as a daughter you wanted validation from your mother so you were willing to forgive her but as a parent, it's the how dare you. Yeah, like how dare you treat someone like that, especially your own child. You're probably looking at your child. You're upset about your child who is going through this, who's going to be going through this chronic illness that you've already dealing with with your other child, right? Mm-hmm. And your concern is about your child and the pain and all of that is for your child. And your mother can't even put things aside to be there for you. Yeah, exactly. And that must, that must have caused I'm. Like, once again, I'm sorry. That's horrible. Thank you. I am. It was very painful. And it, like I said, it still is. I'm still crying in my closet. So it's all okay. good. <laughs> in August of 2020, I started graduate school for my counseling degree. I started learning more in depth of what attachment to parents look like as adults. And the disorganized, anxious attachment kind of really described my relationship with my mom to a T. And I basically realized that I I can't go any longer with having her guilt trip me and manipulate my feelings and invalidating them as well. So I restarted therapy and I started talking about how I have to walk around eggshells in my own house and there were slamming cabinets, slamming doors, dishes crashing, like make me feel so triggered. Like even to this day, if the kids like slam the cabinets, I like jump happens yeah I was anxious for months to the point where I got on medication because I could not like stop feeling anxious at that point I was letting the kids go around her because they love her that's her that's their grandma and I just wanted to be able to still let them have that because I didn't have that growing up your grandma was my grandma growing up pretty much yeah she was everybody's grandma She was everybody's grandma. Yeah. So Thanksgiving came around. She was gone all day. Never said a word to me or my kids all of Thanksgiving. But we, when she came back, we were in the living room having a food coma movie night kind of a thing. She walked right past us. My daughter gets up off the couch and goes to talk with her, like asking her, where were you? How, how was Thanksgiving? That kind of a thing. And my mom was just giving her the cold shoulder, like very minimal answers. And the mama bear and me kind of really kicked in and I realized she's not going to change for them. (laughs) She's not going to change her behavior. So I'm not going to let my kids go through what I have gone through most of my life. So that night I sent her an email kind of saying like, you need to leave in 30 days and you, after 30 days, you won't be able to contact the kids unless you attended therapy with me. And it's fair. You you set your boundaries, right? Yeah, exactly. And so ultimately, she thirty less than thirty days passed, and she made no attempt to try to go to therapy. 
so we just assumed that she was going to be moving out. She was definitely not in a great place mentally. She was giving my daughter bags of candy and telling her to hide it, which in case you don't know, with type 1 diabetes, you can eat everything except poison as long as you give them insulin for it. I didn't know that. So you're educating me too. Okay. Hey, there we go. Education and advocacy right there. Um, Exactly. But at that point, she knew that my daughter had type 1 diabetes because like my daughter was wearing the same kind of equipment that my son always has worn. And she knew what that really entailed because she had actually taken care of my son on multiple occasions. And then the day that she moved out, she actually cussed out my 10-year-old neighbor before leaving to go do whatever she needed to do. And that was the first time that I had a panic attack in like years. I want to say like five or six years. Just having to apologize for your mom. Yeah. And her behavior. Like you always have to do that. It feels like, at least for me, that was how it felt like. And it was just reliving it all over again. For sure. So pretty much she came back with my sister and a man to help move her out. I just stayed in my room with my dog. And then she finally moved everything out by eight and it felt like a weight had lifted from my spirit. And I feel like my whole family spirit too, because I don't, I don't know if you actually watched it, but there was my one TikTok that did go kind of viral. They're like sitting there. I did watch it. You did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So like they're sitting there like laughing and screaming in the empty room and they're playing in there and they were just so happy. You know what I mean? And yeah, I feel like we need to post that for our listeners too. Yeah, I would definitely love to, especially with this, with this episode. I think that you can kind of tell, like, I just felt so relieved. So in the months since then, she's sent my kids gifts with the return address as my address. So I can't even send it back. And they were just bizarre gifts that are full of Chinatown trinkets and just very random gifts that had no rhyme or reason to them. I know that the intention was to shower them with love, but it wasn't besides one gift that was uh, one of those scary unicorns that show fangs. It had food in it. So it's unsanitary. Like she got it from a yard sale or something. I don't know. But it was just like out of her own interest and not my kid's interest kind of a thing, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. She sent another box for St. Patrick's Day. Again, a lot of random stuff. But she also included a card, which she plainly said, like, I love you, even though your mom doesn't won't let me talk to you. And at that point, I was thinking, like, is this going to be the rest of my life? Am I ever am I going to have to brace for every major holiday <laughs> for her to send something to the kids? So I to- I understand that. I deal with that, too. Yeah. And it's so hard because, like, it makes you so anxious and like hyper vigilant about what's coming next yeah and it's I don't know I mean I can't speak for you but for me it's like not like a whole lot of contact I mean a few reaching out but when holidays come around the issue is pushed like a lot more yeah exactly so I I just went ahead and I put my foot down I was like okay gifts are a form of attempt of communication and as i previously stated the boundary you cannot have contact until we attend therapy and she didn't send any more gifts i'm thankful for that for on my birthday last year um i was in class so that was a fun thing to get triggered by in the middle of class <laughs> like oh gosh yeah she basically was like 
happy birthday daughter, that kind of a thing. And I reaffirmed the boundary. And I told her, I maybe this is like a way to try to guilt trip me because you don't just say daughter, you say Dallas or something like that. I felt like it was trying to create distance and not connection out of that. So I didn't feel like it was genuine. I don't know if I was just being nitpicky, but it's something that a lot of children of narcissists kind of realize like they don't actually they they don't actually call you by your name. They're very vague, if that makes any sense. Yeah. I basically found out that she had given my phone number to the same best friend, Miss Karen, to text me. So she fucking baited me. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm scared of what's coming next. Uh, like, I- I'm going to keep it short. She just basically called me disrespectful, not nice. And she called my mom ungodly. And I was like, I think this person's drunk. So I'm just going to lean with it. I was like, my mom's ungodly. I'll see her in hell then. Which like for me, it doesn't matter because I don't really believe in any of that. But it mm-hmm. really it really triggered Karen and she fucking blocked me. So I was like, okay, cool. Got what I wanted. <laughs> so her name is Karen and she lives up to the reputation. Yep. She sure does. She sure does. She <laughs> wants to dish out shit that she can't handle when it's thrown back at her. So Sounds like a Karen. Yep. Then actually just last week, my mom called my daughter and left a voicemail that was definitely not appropriate for an eight-year-old. And I think that she didn't realize that she didn't end the phone call. And like in the background, you could kind of, you can hear it. She says, fuck you, Dallas. I didn't even know that she had left that until I looked on my daughter's phone after I started getting text messages. And it wasn't just one, it was multiple she mm. started spam texting me and I never answered once because I was firm on my boundaries several times. I already knew what would happen if I responded and I already worked through it in therapy. Like I can't react that kind of a thing, especially when I'm triggered with her. So for sure, I was just more or less seeing where it was going to play out. And then he six or seven text messages and she's like, Oh yeah, we can't talk unless we go to therapy. I was like, Oh, Yeah, you know it. You know the boundary. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, exactly. But instead of genuinely wanting to repair the relationship, she goes on really bizarrely about her health. Like apparently she has new health conditions. She has a boyfriend, which is great for her. She's gone to therapy for a year, which also great for her. But she said that she wanted to go to therapy in order to see the kids. Throughout that entire text message spam thing, she never once asked about the kids. She never asked about my husband. She never asked about me. So it was never about us, if that makes sense. It was about herself. It was about herself. Yeah, exactly. She never took accountability for anything that she did to impact us. And then finally, she continued on until the next day. She like sent me pictures of her medications and everything. It was just strange. And then the last one was like, I'm at this bar, yippee. So that means like she's relapsing. Yeah, no sobriety. And no sobriety. Yep. I'm I'm in the court of like, I'm not ready to mend the relationship because A, I literally don't even have time to go to therapy myself right now because with mm-hmm. my internship, I'm going five days a week. I don't have time to even go to therapy to help myself, much less help her with our relationship. And then B, she wasn't really genuine about it I can't just allow her back because she expressed interest no totally and I think I think that you're on to something there like 
okay, you dumped all this shit on me my whole entire life, right? Mm -hmm. And you're ready. But when do I get to say, like, wait, I'm not, I'm not ready right now. You yeah. Have to be, and being able to be like, you know what? I'm going to put my mental health first right now. Mm -hmm. And maybe, you know, when I'm ready, I'll be ready. But right now is just not the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I still haven't responded. I think that I think if I learned anything is that I'm not actually obligated to respond to her right away. So I can respond to her. Not. Yeah. Like I can respond to her right away or it could be a week or two weeks or whenever I feel like I am just kind of immensely in that space. And, you know, um, I'm just going to say I'm proud of you and Aww. you're holding boundaries and like you could have went the total opposite like your stories you just shared you could have went the total opposite way with your life you could have gone into victim mode and instead you said I'm gonna take what I've been through and I'm gonna help others yeah thank you realize how amazing that is I it feels weird almost impostery but at the same time I feel like I'm able to connect with others because I have been able to go through these kind of things and it's the same thing with you too like you've gone through so much and that's exactly why we want to go on to help others is because we are able to empathize and not just sympathize with people totally and you know better counselors for it right mm -hmm. you know when you when you have the ability to do that and the ability to realize that you may not connect to everybody's story but you connect to pain like that and yeah, exactly. You are able to connect with feelings and it's not, I think that it says a lot to be able to connect with feelings rather than just the story too. No, it's something that can't be taught in a classroom. Oh yeah, absolutely. You can't teach someone to feel, feel the feelings. So uh, we wanted to, after our stories, kind of decompress this episode. Yes. And talk about the topic of cutting off a family member. Any of you out there who might be doing the same thing, it's it's a hard thing to do. Oh, yeah. It 100% is not easy at all. And I think that a lot, a lot of parents who have gotten cut off from their children by, not by their choice, but by the child's choice, they think that it's so easy. But it's not. It's actually one of the hardest decisions that you can ever make. You know exactly what the road up ahead looks like when you go no contact. You know that your parents not going to, or family member, anybody is not going to be there for the yeah, foreseeable and, future. And whenever you bring it up to someone, you know, people always have opinions. And they're not always the easiest opinions to hear. Like, well, they're your family life is short, you don't want to miss out on time, you know, and say why well, all of that is valid. We just are here for those who may feel like while all that is true, you still have to make the decision for yourself, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. For me, I think my, my, my story with my dad could be a testament mm -hmm. of when they die or if they die. I, yeah. I did feel guilt, but I didn't regret it at all. I didn't regret it whatsoever because I knew that I was doing something not only for myself, but also my, my new family, you know, I knew what I was doing was right. Yeah. And, and in my example, if something was to happen like that, I felt like if I stayed and I enabled, I was going to watch him, you know, kill himself with the road he was going down. 
Oh, yeah. And my hopes are by going so extreme is no contact that maybe I I might save his life. I might, you know, and th- that's my argument with that argument of what if they die? What life is short? Well, <laughs> we didn't ask to be put in these situations. We're just doing the best we can with what we got. Yeah. And I think that. We touched on it earlier about generations like thinking for themselves and whatnot. But Kylie and I have kind of been raised into was the obligation of like family comes first, no matter what. But for us to go no contact, it can be seen as selfish. But Mm -hmm. I think for us, we're taking our mental health into account and we're making that a priority. A hundred percent. And yeah, it's it's not, and like you said, it's the hardest decision. It's not the easy decision. It's the hard decision. But ultimately, for for those listening, and um, please write in to us if you have a story and you might want advice or you want us to share it. This this topic is, we're not closing books to topics. If someone writes in, we'll always get to you, you know? Yeah. And it's not the easy way out at all, but this is the way towards growth and You don't grow when you're comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing that I realized is that I was not truly able to heal until my mom moved out of my house. And I have felt so much better since then. Like I still struggle from time to time. It's not like sunshine and rainbows all the time, but, you know, it has been very healing for me to be able to look at myself and form a new identity outside of my dysfunctional family. So it's really been good. And I hope that other listeners can be able to share their experiences with that as well. For sure. And you're doing such a good job. And, you know, oh, I feel like we both are. Like, we have our boundaries. These are them. I hope they do follow such boundaries and they they better themselves at the end of all this, right? Yeah. That would be the perfect situation. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just me. I don't really like to look into perfect situations. Like, I, I, if that makes any sense, like, I, I think that I, I know what the perfect situation is, but I also yeah. am like kind of like the realist, like the realist in a sense. Like, I'm the glass. The glass is neither half full or half empty. It's just there, kind of a thing. So I'm like, yeah. if it goes one way or the other, then I'll deal with it. Then, but for now, I'm just gonna keep going and keep moving. And such a great way to think of it because I feel like I am an optimist and people are always the best and I'm always – the glass is full and sometimes having that taste of reality is what I need. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would set myself up for less heartbreak because I think I am the one that's like, nope, they're going to better themselves. Life's going to be perfect and that might – that's just not always reality. Uh, yeah. And like I – I think that for me, that just kind of comes out of my own trauma response. So I totally get that, especially because like I see it similarly, like with my kids, when a kid comes in and I used to work at a, at an alternative high school. So I always saw the best in these kids because they were just, they had so much potential for growth and bettering themselves, getting them out of, you know, these cycles and whatnot. But you always have to kind of check yourself with that because the reality is like your expectations of someone, you can't place that on them. You have to let them go live how they want in a sense. No, it does. And 
I hope today helped someone today maybe on yeah. the fence about it or feeling guilt. Like I, I hope today helped you guys feel heard, validated. So you beautiful people have been responding to our podcast and we are so thankful for you. And you gave us some feedback about wanting a segment at the end of each episode. So I think that we kind of like mashed our heads together and I think that this might work. Totally. So we're going to be doing a new segment each week called Clock App Haul Out. Yeah. So I think the general premise of this is that we are going to be doing like a little deep dive into TikToks that we are finding fascinating. And I don't know. I I think that this is hopefully it's going to work. Yes. And we want you guys to feel included. So we're going to let you know, like at the end of each episode, what next week's podcast is going to be about. We'll put it on our socials. And if you find something that speaks out to you, send it our way and we might just play it in this segment. Yeah, so I think that what we can do, because I, I feel like it might get a little bit messy if they send it to our the Chaos and Cuss Words TikTok, mm-hmm. but maybe they could just like send us a link on our link tree, like through a form, and then totally. make sure that you guys put your, oh my gosh, what is it called? A handle. So then we can credit you guys and involve you guys too. Exactly. So here's the first one. We, Miss um, Dallas actually found this one and we thought it was great. For this week's episode so i'm going to give it a play right now let me get this right they refuse to change their toxic habits that they know they know is causing you harm they know these things that they are doing is slowly destroying you but they absolutely refuse to work on bettering themselves unless you threaten to leave or unless you actually leave so in other words they're only willing to work on themselves over things that are harming you if it affects them does that sound about right yeah so that one's a pretty powerful one Oh, yeah, definitely. So like when that came across my feed, I was like, Oh, my gosh, this is exactly what I was talking about. When I started drafting my story about my mom, I'm like, she I I tried to get her into therapy with me. So then we can work out our issues and work on ourselves and everything. But it wasn't until like almost two years later when she's like, I've been in therapy and all that stuff. But like, I don't know how to explain it. It it only took until after I left for her to sit back and be like, oh, okay. Totally. And I, I think I can relate to that as well. Like it took affecting them in order for them to change, right? Mm-hmm. It, it wasn't, hey, you're hurting me. You're hurting others. Your actions are affecting me. It, okay, well, I can no longer continue this relationship because of those actions. Yeah, exactly. I think one thing that kind of comes up repeatedly is that there's not as much insight from them. They would rather just not think about it, about the things that they have done wrong, and also take accountability for the things that they've done wrong. Yeah, I think that's a super impactful statement right there. And you guys have been writing in about going no contact with parents. And I've been the theme of like the gaslighting that goes on and how far it has to go with setting your boundaries for you to be like, for a child to do that to a parent, like I'm cutting off contact with you, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, it goes to such an extreme point. And then once actions are taken, it's how could you do that to your parent? Oh, yeah. And it's oh, yeah. not the actions that occurred prior Yeah, exactly. It's like, how come the blame is shifted on the child when, regardless of whether they are like a small child or an adult child, they are in a position of power over us. Mm -hmm. So it just means that 
it's not okay for the blame to be shifted onto the child. But if a child goes no contact, like it's for, it's for a reason, quite frankly. (laughs) Exactly. And then like that TikTok we just played, and then you feel like you've given reasons and you've given boundaries and you've made your, you've made it clear what is hurting you, but you had to walk away because that was the only way you were heard. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And okay, this is like kind of off topic, but it's similar. So while I was doing practicum and I was seeing uh, clients, I was, I had to, I I had to be videotaped pretty much. (laughs) And I had to review tape with my supervisor. And there's a thing called double barrel questions. And just to kind of explain it, it's where you say one question and then you don't end it there. You add another question at the end of that question. And it's it's a no-no. You're not supposed to do that. But the thing that kind of got me emotional in my supervision was that my supervisor, he was incredible. He said, why did you do this? And I said, well, I just wanted to make sure that they, the client, understood what I was trying to ask. He's like, can you think of a time that you felt invalidated and you felt like your truth wasn't heard? And I immediately thought of my mom immediately. And I started crying. And that was just so impactful for me Mm -hmm. because I felt it in my body and I made sure not to do any double barrel questions anymore. (laughs) Yeah. But, and I think that you said it was off topic, but I'm glad you brought it up. Because people listening who have felt that way and been put in that situation, they probably relate to that. Like, it comes up in the most places that you wouldn't think it, like, it'd come up, you know, mm-hmm. where those feelings would come rushing up to you, but they do. And I think that was a very relatable story. And thank you for sharing that. I think people are going to feel validated and heard there. Yeah, I, I hope so. It's exactly what you were saying. Like you don't feel validated or heard until you walk away. Mm-hmm. And that's just the truth of the matter sometimes is that our truth has our truth has been invalidated over and over. So when we finally do set these boundaries and maintain these boundaries, all of a sudden they want to either truly validate whatever is happening or just kind of tiptoe around the truth yeah and it's like she said in there you weren't willing to change they weren't willing to change until it affected them Mm -hmm. and even though all these behaviors affected you and you've let them know that oh well now I'm not going to be able to see you I might not be able to see a grandchild okay I'll change yeah and like to me I feel like once you have opportunity after opportunity to speak your truth and let it not be heard it's just it's a vicious cycle and in order for you to grow and to heal you have to break it that's no truer words no truer words we got to break those generational curses oh yeah absolutely absolutely well thank you guys for tuning in to another episode and we hope you like this new little segment give us some feedback about what you think about it And next week, I think we're going to be talking about millennial parenting Mm -hmm. and some phenomenons like default parenting and things like that. And just what it's like to be a parent in these times. Yeah, most definitely. And Kylie and I were just kind of talking about it. I think that to kind of paint a little bit of a picture, we're talking about how 
for parents, there has to be a two parent household, but sometimes there's a default parent where they do all the doctor's appointments, they clean the house, you know, X, Y, Z, it could be anything. And even though we're probably going to be coming at it from like the mom perspective, we want to be inclusive of everybody. So we're, if we slip up, we're talking about like parents in general, it doesn't matter gender at all. For sure. And I just think like we, when we were talking about it, we did go straight to a mom perspective because that's our reality. Mm -hmm. That's our perspective of this situation. But yeah, for sure. All parents are welcome and non-parents to tune in about that topic. Yeah, most definitely. Thank you guys for listening. We appreciate all the love and support so far. And we hope that you guys tune in next week as well. Yep. Bye. Bye.